Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Jonathan Harden and you're listening to the Honest Actors Podcast Lockdown Special Editions. This is my latest lockdown chat with Joanna Scanlon. The original interview with Joanna went out as part of Series 3, so if you haven't heard that, it is, I say this a lot, it's a cracker. The Joanna Scanlon episode, though, genuinely, I think, is one of the most honest. It's also one of the longest, and um, that's kind of because I find it very hard to cut so go back and listen to that in series three. She comes out with some absolutely wonderful observations and bits of wisdom learned the hard way. So uh, it's well worth checking out. But here it is anyway, my lockdown chat with Joanna Scanlon. Enjoy. There she is. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, very well. There was a yeah. slight hesitation there, I have to say. I'm just having to think. Because I think you get um, in the whole in the whole scenario, there are times when you're up, and there are times when you're down, and and um, it's really hard to work out which you are at any. You know, you actually consciously have to put your mind to it. Am I? Is this a good day? Yes. Yeah, this is a good day. Rather than um, you know being sort of sure of how you how you are. Have yeah. you, are you aware of it having like? Are you aware of the journey of it? Like, can you say for sure week four was bad, you know, that day was bad, or is it more kind of amorphous, like, you know, R to R? I, 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 it's days rather than hours for me. Um, it's when it started off, I think there was this strange combination of proper fear, terror, and at the same time, a real joy a peculiar joy at this change in life, that this pace of life had gone, changed so utterly, and that there was time at home and walks and space and work just disappeared immediately, as we know. Um, and there was a sense of kind of joy in that. I found myself feeling I was back in the 1970s and, and that um, life was simpler. But then as the weeks have gone by, I think it's felt less and less enjoyable. Um, mm. There were moments of enjoyableness. But I think, as I say, I think that joy was partly the fear. It was partly being on heightened awareness and that kind of making the two things going hand in hand. So it's become duller and more 
routine and and now I'm at a stage of frustration I think um, in some respects a lots I'm doing a lot on zoom and um, the interweb in general and that's but that's making me feel like I've just got a sore bum all the time I'm just sat in yeah. front of a screen and it doesn't feel like I'm even aware of the portion of the experience that I'm missing that would be there with human interaction. And what are you missing almost, most about the human interaction? You know, what's, what are you looking forward to most coming out of this? Well, I think, I think there's a way we, we read each other, which isn't, um, isn't purely to do with what, even our facial expressions and our vocal tone, but it's something to do with the energy in the space and mm. at the energy around you. And that that's really perceptible. And that's how I think we, we function a lot like that in ordinary life. We as actors are triply aware of that because particularly when you're in a scene, even filming, but also very much on stage, that's what you're playing with really that and that funny magic invisible mm. space that that you're shaping and working together on and with this technology version of life i think it's quite misleading because you feel you're getting a lot and that you should be able to comprehend things but sometimes i'm thinking i'm not really getting it and i'm working at only maybe 35 percent of what this experience could be um I've been surprised how effective it has been actually to get things done, but it's still not the full Monty. Have you done some acting on, on Zoom via Zoom? Have you been one of the people who's been doing projects on online or, or have you just been solely having conversations? Well, I've had a few little kind of different things. Um, my uh, voiceover agent very brilliantly sent out uh, at the beginning of lockdown, she sent out the list of things you needed to get for your home, you know, for your home studio. Brilliant. And um, so my husband built this sort of duvet wigwam um, in the corner of a bedroom and we got that equipment. And weirdly, at the moment that we got the equipment, because I was thinking it's a lot of money, it's a big outlay. Mm. Uh, but literally that moment, a Channel 5 documentary narration came in which actually paid double thumbs to cover up it. yeah double yeah. thumbs up yeah and then i was and so i did i did have to kind of do that narration thing from for a few sessions um few, i think it was five two-hour sessions so it was quite hefty which my, in the wigwam of course i was yeah, like, about, like how about like, i couldn't move because i was so sort of, i was like in some hobbit land with my head down and in the warm weather as well. Yeah, yeah. It was hot and, and luckily there wasn't too many building. The, we've got a building site across the road and luckily they were, seem to have shut down those few days. Um, but anyway, so I, so I did do a bit of actual paid work which covered the cost of the equipment. And now you have um, that up there. Which was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Then I was thinking, great, now we're in the groove. Of course, there's not been a word yeah. since. It's no. not been a bite. Nothing. Um, I've also done a few like Zoomy kind of Q&A type things. I did one with Armando Iannucci. We did a session for the National Student Drama Festival. They've got a, they've got a thing called the Bigger Room where they're Zoom 
chatting with people who... Which, of course, you won an award at many years ago. Oh, yeah. All those years ago. <laughs> yes, that's, that's given me my little entree Award there. winner. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that from the last chat we had. Yeah, yeah. But as, as much good it did me. Um, but they all wanted, I think, to talk to Armando. I think one of the things about the thick of it is that it's it, every year it seems to find a new generation of 16 and 17 year old boys mainly I think who just adore it and you know they they want to hear how it was made so we did a session on that brilliant and then I've done a couple of other little zoomy things but the biggest project I've been doing is is an online project with Alex Roach and Jenny Duffy Alex Roach I worked with on uh, no offense um, mm-hmm. she played joy in no offense and we've been really good pals ever since and we've been wanting to work on something and I bought the rights uh, with a production company I've got with Vicky Pepperdine, George and George, to a book called Sex Lives of English Women, um, which was written by a woman called Wendy Jones. And it's a sort of uh, very inclusive, comprehensive look at kind of, it's verbatim people talking about their experiences, their sexual histories and their expectations and everything that's happened to them. Wow. So. I, I mean, I always really loved it as a project. I feel quite kind of uh, strongly that there's a lot of toxic shame around sexuality and sex and so on. And there's a version of that that's for that's experienced by women. Uh, and that includes the trans community as well, because the book covers that too. And there's a, there's a lot of very interesting uh, cases there. So we wanted, we've been working developing that anyway. And we decided, well, why not do a version, of our own version of that for Instagram? So what we've been doing is um, asking people to submit their sex life stories during lockdown anonymously onto a website, which they have been doing. And they have been amazing, these stories. I, Brilliant. I have to say, I was expecting a load of kind of catfished filth, but yep. actually it really isn't. It's a lot of people talking from the heart about, what their experience has been during lockdown. Um, so we have started to kind of dramatize those and then we filmed one last week and we're going to film one this week and then we'll put them out as just three little, three minute little videos for Instagram. Sounds great. Keeps you busy. <laughs> and have you been doing anything outside of work things to keep busy? Like have you been one of the many people who's taken up a hobby, decided to learn French, teach yourself Thai cooking or you know, anything else from the list above? Well, I, some of that capacity was removed from me by agreeing to um, judge the Comedy Women in Print Prize, which is a new prize, fairly new, I think it's had two years, um, set up by Helen Lederer for comedic writing. Um, And that involved reading 14 novels um, in a month. So, a huge amount of what the bit of me that might have learned French better uh, has, has been involved in reading all those books. So I've actually learned a lot reading those books um, and it's been a pleasure and a delight and very, very, very interesting. You know, and, and was it helpful in those first 14 days to be engaged in reading comedic novels? I imagine it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was very helpful. Um, what I've found is that, like a lot of comedy, 
Tears of a Clown, um, the novels generally have started off in that comedic vein and often have kept going in, in a sort of comedic vein, but underneath it is a lot of difficulty and struggle and pain. And the common narrative in a lot of those books, um, not exclusively, but a lot of them, is young women trying to be something that they, you know, either as in an aspirational way, a lot of them talking about social media and the way that that makes them want things and want to be things that they feel they're not. And then having a mental health crisis and then having to get help and then having to put their lives back together. That, that's a really common narrative for, you know, I, I guess it's a bit of a straw poll that the 14 books that we looked at in the, in the long list. There's now a short list. We'd, we got to the stage for shortlist. And then there's, after that, there's going to be uh, a decision and a winner. And I think that's announced in September. Wow. So it's, it's been, that's been a hefty commitment, really. And so that's, that's a lot of stuff. Joanna, that's like, you know, a lot of time in a wigwam upstairs, a lot of time in an armchair somewhere else in the house reading novels. And then one assumes sometime, you know, uh, washing and eating. Um, but in between all that, like, have you, have you been craving any particular time of, type of entertainment? Have you been turning to particular things on Netflix or particular novels? Or have you gone and reread or rewatched anything during the past, what is it, 10 weeks? I certainly have. Um, we, uh, so we have a cleaning day. Um, As which do we. Is, yeah, we, we started our cleaning day once a week. Then we decided... We were going to slit our wrists if it was once a week. Um, it just like cleaning day, around. Tuesday, slitting wrist day, Wednesday. Yeah, exactly, that came round too quickly, and we hadn't really recovered from the last <laughs> cleaning day. <laughs> so we've expanded it to every ten days. Right. Um, however, we are like hitting the house top to bottom. But anyway, good, that, that's good that's, exercise. A good clean is really good exercise. Oh yeah. And the garden, the gardening has been really good exercise as well. Although mm. that hasn't got, we haven't got a gardening day. Perhaps we need to institute that too. But that's just bits and bobs around the side. So on cleaning days, particularly, what I have been doing is listening to. This is where I've really gone is Audible. I've been listening to books on Audible, and the one that I have been obsessed with mm -hmm. is, and I still haven't finished it. All the cleaning days later is Helter Skelter, which is the book about the Sharon Tate, um, that's the Enger murders in Hollywood. And it is, was written by the chief prosecutor. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's the length of the Audible book is something like 24 hours. It's the longest, most detailed book about uh, those particular murders and the Charles Manson family and the case in wow. from top to bottom. Um, and I started, a friend of mine who's a barrister recommended it to me. Um, and she'd listened to it on the car journey when she goes to work. Um, and the reason I was sort of interested was I really did love the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood film, mm. Tarantino. I like Tarantino anyway. I know a lot of women found that violent and sexist. But I didn't. I really didn't. I found it. I found it had lots of. I thought it was about masculinity, but I thought it had lots to say that was interesting 
Um, and so the, the book, the um, Bugliosi is the writer, Vincent, I think it's Vincent Bugliosi, and he was the chief prosecutor, is just everything you could ever possibly need to know about that case. Um, and as I say, I still haven't finished it. I think I've got three hours left to go, despite... Uh, and is it somebody from the... Is it one of the writers narrating, or is it a well-known performer, or is it just somebody who's very gifted at narrating? It's the man himself. Wow. The man, him, the chief prosecutor himself. That's narrating great, isn't his it? own material. Yeah, it's wonderful because he's... He is... Um, I must check that out, actually. That sounds great. <laughs> Well, it'll keep you going. Um, he is, he's got this really dry American um, courtroom voice, which somehow just is mesmerizing and really pulls me in. And very so, settling, I, mean, I imagine. You know, very. It's, yeah. And That's you know, with great. Audible, you can go back and do like, you know, if I've, if I've got under the sink and I've been using, getting the toothbrush in the last bit of the corners of the, you know, the tiles at the bottom and I was concentrating so hard, I missed a bit. Then you can always with Audible go back and do the last 30 seconds or the last, you know, press it a few yeah. times. And just replay that last five minutes. Which... You can also, I think, well, certainly can on podcasts. Like I remember enjoying, as everyone did, I think, Serial. It's a true crime podcast yeah. that kind of got me into podcasts initially. But um, mm. for if you're absolutely mental, you can play a podcast at 1.5 times natural speed. Or 0.5. So you can, if you're one of those people who just, their mind goes so fast that you can't be bothered <laughs> listening to people um and ah, you can just <laughs> listen to it. And it sounds slightly kind of, you know, not, it sounds, it's, it's not quite that bad, but it's somewhere in between. So it almost sounds natural. So sometimes when you put it on accidentally, you think, is that, what, what the, what's going on? But yeah, I mean, I, I'd rather put it on slow and everyone sounds drunk. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm afraid I just don't have that quick, that quick kind of mind. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm a bit sluggish. I, I sort of thought that I don't think that quickly. I, I remember when I was reading the novels and thinking, oh, I bet there's some fast readers here. Sadly, they're not me. No, mm. I've, I've got a pace. I've got, a, I've got a pace in everything I do that is, is a little on the slow side. Um, You've got to enjoy it, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, what's well, the point? You know, maybe time is relative but I just feel like there's a rhythm you have your own rhythm you work with that rhythm that's um, how you get the juice out of it and what have you found most difficult about the lockdown I think it's the emotional um intimacy really so in our in our household we there's my husband myself and we've also got a friend who is somebody who's shielding um, and was would otherwise have been on their own for the whole time. So it's necessitated us all to be quite, I think if it was my husband and me, we, we would just be able to scream at each other if, if there were problems, which of course life is full of. Um, but with having someone else there and yet not that person needing to, you know, this is their home. This is the only option they've got. It's not like having a friend to stay and then go out, they're going out to work or they're going out to, yeah. you know, um, social occasions. See, so this is your whole world. And there's been three of us in our whole world. And I think it has been demanding, but it has been very rewarding that we've had to be very emotionally aware 
being able to communicate, try to communicate about what each of us need in different ways. Mm. How, you know, some, some people need more time, more space, less time, more, less space, you know, need to be able to find the way to express their vulnerabilities, really. Um, so I think it's the intimacy of this, that this enforced intimacy of togetherness during lockdown that has been the big, the big takeaway for me. And it's been really positive, though hard. And positive how, just in terms of, of evaluating things or having time and space with pressure off in some regard? I think the, hard, the, the, the positiveness has come from learning how resourceful we are, how resourceful I am. Um, again, I think that's partly having been brought up in the 70s before mobile, way before mobile phones, mm. way before, you know, when there was, there was, you know, it, it, that's why I think I felt at the beginning it was just like the 1970s is because there didn't seem to be the stimuluses that modern life had given us. And that, but that didn't last very long because, you know, the Zoom thing began to happen. But for a few weeks, two or three weeks, that was certainly the case. So the resourcefulness of, you know, just finding, well, you know, I, I, when I made the decision to become an actor, you know, I knew there was always, always going to be a risk that you would never get an opportunity to work. But what I didn't ever bargain on was that there wouldn't be any work to not get. <laughs> yeah, be- beautifully put. <laughs> that that's a whole mind shift and it forces you into some like crevices of your resourcefulness and i think i've enjoyed the way that that has happened and then in terms of the human interaction and the intimacies that are required the, the positive takeaway is that we can make a community a small out, out of a small group of people including i i guess some of our neighbors as well because we have a sing We've, we've had a choir every Wednesday and Sunday uh, in the street um, wow. since lockdown began. Um, That's brilliant. It's been fantastic. So we've had a half an hour sing-along um, and we sort of submit on our regular street WhatsApp, um, you know, songs we'd like to sing. And then one of us who is more um, choir-minded and has a lot of experience puts that together. And then she puts the list and it comes in through the WhatsApp and then we all sing. We go out and we sing in the street every twice a week. And so there is that community as well. Um, and it's also, like, you know, on the long walks, you get to know more about your neighbours. I think that, that the place you live, it's just it's been something about that, you know, closed off, limited world and learning that, you do need to be different. You can't expect everybody to agree with you. Um, you do need to accept difference a bit more than in regular life where you can choose to only see the people who agree with you or like you or similar. So it's been different in that respect, but it's been, it's been very, I think it's been a lot of growth in me emotionally through this. Mm. Have you found that time has sped up or slowed down or what, what's your sense of how quickly or slowly things have passed? 
Well, I've been hoping that it was going to slow down and that the day, you know, waking up these glorious days when the sun was just shining and, um, and the birds were just tweeting and thinking, oh, this wonderful day ahead. It's going to, I can, I can do this, that and the other. And then finding by five o'clock, oh my goodness, I haven't even finished the, you know, the endless tasks, the ordinary tasks of just existence. And um, actually, I've been found myself extremely busy, and so time has not slowed down as much as I would have liked. I would have liked it to be a bit more leisureful. But it, it, I think what I've had to accept is there must be something I'm bringing to the party in this respect. I must just like busyness. As much as I moan about it, I must just like it because I give myself endless lists yeah. of things to tick off. Yeah, series and, um, on Instagram that you didn't need to do that. You could, you could have chosen not to do that, but you've done that. Yeah, you know? yeah, I know. It's, 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 um, and even things like, oh, let's clear out the garage. Let's clear out the cupboard in the, in the spare room. Let's, let's build a wigwam. Let's do, you know, I've just got that kind of way of seeing the world. And then I moan about it and say, oh, I'm exhausted. I can't do a thing. Why can't we just have a calmer life? But, and you beat yourself up if you don't get your list done. Do you, are you hard on yourself if you don't live up to your own expectations of product productivity? Yeah, I, na- I nag myself. That's possible. Mm. Um, it feels like it's kind of, it doesn't feel like a beating up, but it's a nag. It's a kind of, oh, it would sounds, you mind just getting that done? It sounds very much like you've coped very well in lockdown, Joanna Scanlon. It sounds very um, much like you have uh, thrived. I'm just wondering if when this all began, when it was announced, was there a flicker of panic? Was there, uh, was there a pile of toilet rolls in the corner larger than normal? Um, was there uh, a rush for tin tomatoes? Like the, at the very beginning, before all of these quite pleasant outcomes um, in some, some way became apparent, were you fearful at the start? Um, I felt a little bit fearful. I did. I, I had, I mean, I've got, I've got a, f- I had pleurisy last year. I've got a few respiratory. I've had pneumonia. I, a few, I knew that, you know, when it started, it was now I think we, we've learned all sorts of things about this virus that, that aren't quite the narrative they started with. But at the beginning, it was very much like, oh, it's a respiratory condition solely. And, you know, anybody who's got respiratory problems, I am te- technically have asthma, although it seems to be um, totally under control and I never even have to use a puffer. So I don't really think I have got it. But that's, the, you know, in theory, I was a little bit of a risk. I felt I was a bit of a risk. And that fear of like, oh, my God, I am going to die tomorrow. And mm. not only me, I didn't really care too much about me, but I did really care about my parents and, you know, who are in their 80s and um, friends and people who, you know, a couple of friends had it quite badly at the beginning. And, I, I, you know, it was, there was an atmosphere of, of terror and concern. But I think deep down, I, I wasn't worried, deeply worried. I think I, I, I had a kind I, of conviction. It was, it, was doable, it was doable with, no matter what it threw at us. See, I, I, I have to admit, I went out and bought some seeds and planted vegetables for fear that I wouldn't be able to get fresh vegetables come September. I was like thinking ahead going, who's going to pick the vegetables? Who's going to transport them? We're not going to have any vegetables. So now... I mean, it's all fine and we'll enjoy them anyway and we'll probably keep it going. But I went out and, and built a, a veg patch and 
planted lots of vegetables because I, I was coping by just staying very busy in any way I possibly could, which yeah. inevitably is unsustainable. But, um, and sciatica sort of that. But I did find that, that beginning kind of not stressful. Like I don't think I was consciously stressed, but I definitely was uh, preparing without realizing it, preparing for the worst. And I wasn't well, there's sure. a lot of apocalyptic scenarios that one could draw upon, you know. There mm. been apocalyptic movies for the last sort of 20 years that have feed in. And the one book that, the one image or kind of environment that did feed in a little bit for me was Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Mm. I don't know if you ever read that. Yep. Not the movie, but the, but the yep. book, which is a beautifully written and utterly terrifying book yeah that did pop into my head oh right okay so do i need to start my bunker filled with tin cans like the one that they discovered during that walk it's the boring apocalypse like one of my friends said very early on how wrong hollywood had got it of course hollywood and we would naturally make everything more dramatic so the sense of apocalypse we'd grown up with was that we would know when it happened it wouldn't just creep in and we'd all be sitting in our own houses, you know, not yeah. seeing anyone, panicking about toilet roll. And it became the most boring version of the apocalypse that I'd ever even <laughs> be- began to countenance. It was just the most ridiculously dull end of the world. <laughs> so this is it then. This is how it ends. Right? You know, it's just bizarre. Um, so Well, we have done all the cliche. I mean, we actually have got a veggie patch as well that we've done. And we've made bread every day. And we've, you know... We have done all those things. You got um, yeast? Where did you get yeast? Yeah, you know, I had a huge, huge um, box. <laughs> I mean, the size of like a, a large Tupperware filled with yeast. We still haven't finished it. I you had know, that before. anyway. Well, I ended up having to get yeast from like, I think it came from Japan, but it was like ridiculously cheap. And because people were selling like the remainders of like five gram packs of, so like three five gram packs on eBay for like 18 quid and people were bidding on it enough to make uh, three loaves and you're like people lost just you know lost their shit basically yeah um, we did we tried sourdough and we ended up with a big black hideous mess and gave up on sourdough when you know we just we're using the um uh the balimaloo cookbook um wholemeal loaf recipe no need it's a no need recipe very very right. good that's I didn't yeah, even know they I didn't even know they existed. Yeah, there's a no need recipe which it's it's called it's often known as the Doris Grant loaf. <laughs> Check it out, the Doris Grant loaf. <laughs> this has become a very Radio Four chat all of a sudden. This has gone. <laughs> Uh, I will I will check out the Doris Grant loaf if only just to prove that you're not pulling my leg. Um, I wondered um, if. You know, all of this, hopefully it looks like we're kind of coming through it. Um, have you allowed yourself a moment to think what what it might look like coming out? Not for society, because I think that's a bigger question, but for the industry? I, um, I can't quite see. I mean, I'm asking every friend I speak to and agents and anybody else who I happen to have an encounter with, have you heard of a production that's actually, actually happening yet? Mm. Um, and although there's the, you know, newspapers reporting the stuff about the EastEnders and, mm-hmm. and the soaps going back into production, I don't think they've actually started, have they? I don't know. Netflix, there's the, I mean, whether or not it's now just an urban myth, but Netflix supposedly 
had isolated an entire cast and crew at the, at the start of this, a few days into production, uh, in a remote forest part of, I'm, I'm going to say Canada, I just made that up, it could be anywhere with the forest basically, and they had instigated that armband scheme, so that's where that came from, where camera department had a different coloured armband to make up an actor's with different colours to sound or whatever. And that's apparently going ahead. I mean, that, I haven't seen that in black and white. I've just heard several people talking about it in several conversations I've had. So it could just mm. be an urban myth. But there's lots of, I mean, Bruna, my wife, had an audition this week and has had a recall for a film that's definitely, in inverted commas, happening in November. And I can see how November is more realistic, but I had a job lined up for September and I'm like, that's not, I mean, at the very start of lockdown, everybody had picked, I don't know if you had the same experience, production companies had just nominated September. So everybody was saying, so, you know, September, hopefully September, September, September. And the closer we get to July even, I'm like, I can't see how mm. that's going to be possible without a vaccine. It's, it's different with, and I'm, I say this, you know, with the greatest respect for crew, but if somebody in crew gets sick, you get more crew. But if cast gets sick, you can't really pull halfway through a film, scene 14, it's a different actor, and then scene 17, it's the original actor, and then scene 18, to, you know, it's like, it, that can't happen. So I, until there's a vaccination, I just wonder how you work with actors, let alone work with actors on stage. You yeah. Know? Um, and yeah, I, I mean, the, the, we are, you know, actors are very physical beings, aren't we? We are social beings, but we're also, you know, we work, bodily and it and and also that space we were just referring to before that the sort of energy space between you if that's if that's got this kind of horrible intervention between it and it it's going to affect everything that you do so I, it's not i i was booked for something that was supposed to start in march then it obviously that couldn't happen and i was given a date of july um and they did try really try with the idea that we would all be locked up together in um in a hotel for 12 weeks and that we wouldn't be able to leave and there's a reality there's a, there's a reality show running in tandem there potentially that could be much more uh, successful than anything else <laughs> yeah the backstage shenanigans um and then i got a call saying actually we even if we did want to do that the broadcaster was feeling that it was going to affect the quality of what well, we actually did. Yeah. And that, that they didn't want to affect quality. And I thought, yeah, dead right, actually. That's the bit that's... Sur surprisingly that, encouraging. Yeah. That, 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 that somehow if we can't actually just all relax on set uh, and we're trying to kind of like move <laughs> away from each other. Yeah. see that we, um, people so standing eight feet away lots of long lenses trying to cheat distance <laughs> you know just all weirdness just anything to get it's not going to work is it no a friend of mine has said that um, that she has been told that the film she's booked for is going ahead in July in Spain and that possible. But there's only one cast <laughs> member she says there's only there's only you know there's only one member of cast plus a dog now, the thing about that is that it must be essays and things as well. Maybe it's, you know, set in a, on Mars, but I, I don't know. I don't know the story. It, it, 
So maybe there are exceptions, but I think you're right that the I feel like we're quite a long way from starting film and TV again. Um, and insurance seems to be the biggest issue. Nobody's indemnifying these productions. And, and I, I do feel like the government could step in there. They could step in and say, well, we'll insure them. You know, and if you follow this practice and that practice of social distancing or whatever, then we will, we will cover it. I mean, I don't know if it's valuable enough to them. Um, or indeed whether that would just, you know, plenty of other industries, hospitality could easily argue the yep. same. Yep, you know, absolutely. How do for, for extra help. But I don't know, I, I'm not eligible for any kind of furlough or, and I don't think I'm eligible for the self, the self-employed money either. So it is looking at 12, more or less 12 months, I think, with zero uh, income from that, from that industry. I mean, I've got other things like, you know, maybe the voice work and so on. Uh, but it's very, it's quite worrying to think there is nothing coming in. I've got to kind of rely on maybe some writing through um, some development writing or something like that to keep, keep the wolf from the door for 12 months. Um, and that's, that's me, but it's absolutely, you know, it's, as I say, it's bad enough it's, if it's just you didn't get the job, but it's when nobody can get the job. There is it's our whole industry, every single person. I'm quite shocked by that reality. Nobody said, nobody said a, few, a couple of years ago, my accountant didn't say, oh, yeah, except if there's a pandemic. Yeah. You know, nobody said that. <laughs> and I feel, well, maybe I should have listened a bit better to Bill Gates's, you know, seminars, but I didn't see it coming and neither did the rest of the industry. Um, and I, I do think financially people will be really struggling because it's not as if we can even go and get other jobs because the whole level of unemployment is going to be so high. Yeah. Like, like we've like, never, like we've never seen before, I guess like that's the, that's the big unknown. And, you know, if theaters did open, would there expensive tickets sell and who to and the thing about theatre is the most people most likely to buy the tickets are probably those most at risk from from the virus and so yeah I mean it is a fairly bleak picture if you look at if you look at it I think hard enough but also there's there are there's possibilities from this one of the interesting things is that it kind of resets a lot of stuff as well and it resets what the audience wants so you know a lot of narratives that haven't been told Will people really want to watch Armageddon type films, you know, in the next mm-hmm. 15 years? And the answer is probably not. But then probably in saying not. that, for the first three or four weeks, the Netflix top 10 was populated almost entirely with disaster movies and mm-hmm. pandemic movies and pandemic documentaries and all that. So mm-hmm. I think the, the, the kind of looking at it, aside from the reality of lived experience, from a kind of philosophical point of view, is what will people want to watch? What will people mm-hmm. want us to be doing? come 2021 mm-hmm. yeah what, well personally I, I want to watch queer eye you know i want to watch i want to watch positive uplifting <laughs> stories um you know, people, I watch, i've been watching chernobyl this week and i i it, despite the fact that it's utterly brilliant i don't really want to watch it uh, yeah. yes it was a shit show and yes but i don't want to see any more shit i can't I, it's really I'm not looking to that. Um, I'm looking to things that 
that are about people connecting with each other. A and time about before mobile phones, a time before Zoom. Nobody will want to see another Skype in a movie for a very long time. Like people want to see, that's why Queer Eye is interesting because it's like, it's also people getting very, very physically close and doing lots of things to each other. It's like physical contact. So it feels like that is possibly what people want as well, is they want to see people embrace violently like that. You know, there's a real desire for that. And that's, I guess that's an interesting place to be if you're a writer. That's that's an interesting proposition. You know, look at the success of normal people. I mean, that couldn't have been, couldn't have come at a time yes. that was better. You know, I I love the book, and um, I was wasn't expecting the, the TV version to to come up to the book, but it really did. And it was partly seeing these this sweet young couple dealing with what it's like to be a sweet young couple mm-hmm. who can't get on top of their feelings and don't really know how to live yet um and all of that intimacy all that sex i felt was was actually just really about it was very calming to watch it because these people were connecting intimacy is an intri- that that's the word i was searching for and struggling to find yeah people will want to see intimacy yeah 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 they will and and that's you know, I loved normal. I loved watching normal people. Not only did I think it was great, I just loved watching it. I loved the experience of settling in to that intimate relationship, that romantic. You're really on a, you're on an Irish binge at the middle, aren't you? You're really enjoying yeah. this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You find you find something there. Um, <laughs> listen, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you know you like to go up and sit in your wigwam and rock back and forth repeating your name. Um, <laughs> But uh, I just wanted to have, a, as I said, a few people, a little ramble chat just to see how everyone's doing and and what we're all going through together, but absolutely separated. So thanks for mm-hmm. thanks for sharing your thoughts and your experience of it. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to speak to you again, Jonathan. It really is. And I, I mean, I'm hoping I'm hoping we we get to the other side of this and that our creativity is intact. One thing I just want to add that I have done is redoing The Artist's Way, um, Julia Cameron's book about creativity, which is a 12-week program. And it involves various things like writing your morning pages and things that have become a bit cliche, really. Um, But if you haven't come across it, I really recommend it. And that, that sense I've been building up that we have so much creativity in us uh, all of us, and that there may be, as you talk about the reset, there may be an opportunity on the other side of this to reset through a new kind of found creative practice and energy as well. I'm really hoping that's the case, and I believe it. I believe it's a sort of inevitability, actually, that you can't stop that flood from you know coming over the top of the dam. It just will happen. My the first thing for me is a massive flood of hugs. I can't wait to hug every single person I've ever called a friend. Like it is mm. the absolute opposite of Facebook is what I'm craving. And the, mm. the the creativity thing's really interesting. Like I've started to have really vivid narrative dreams for the first time in years, and I wake up like saying, "I think I just dreamt most most of a feature film script." And my wife's like, <laughs> "Do you do you remember it?" And I'm like. Oddly, yes. And so it's been very strange that way. I think just your brain having space and time away yeah. from thinking about, you know, the things that distract you. Like I'll go walk around a shop, you know, 
um, yeah. has been really, really good. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully you're right. And after the hugs, after the wave of hugs, once we get that out of the way and the wave, yeah. the wave of sex and the wave yeah. of uh, lockdown babies, then yeah. there will be a wave of newfound creativity. So that's kind of, that's yeah. a positive note to end on. I'll buy into yeah, that. It is. Yeah. Yes, please. More of that. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Lovely to talk. And, um, and love to my all my fellow actors out there who are um, um, not treading aboard right now. Um, well, let's look to that future. So there you go, a nice positive note to finish on. That was my lockdown theme chat with Joanna Scanlon. My original interview with her, as I said at the top of this, went out in Series 3 and it is well worth going back and having and listen to, as are many of the interviews across the three series. Today, though, another episode has come out alongside this one. There are up to this point, I think, 10 brand new bits of audio, five full-length interviews and five lockdown specials to listen to in what has become an impromptu series four. So I didn't intend to do this, but I found myself with pretty much a brand new series of Honest Actors. Good news, I don't know, but uh, I'm going to keep going with it. Thanks for listening to this one. Enjoy the others. Stay safe. Speak to you soon. Bye. 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 How do you you end these seven? You can't get out of a Zoom meeting. It's just impossible. You press the button how many times it just doesn't let you out. Stop press. So literally a matter of hours after this chat, I got an email from Joanna to say, I just checked and Helter Skelter is not in fact narrated by the man himself at all. It's an actor called Scott Brick who is so bloody convincing. I've misheard him as the great prosecutor himself. Never wanted an actor out of their moment in the sun. So there you have correction stands. Thanks, Joanna, for keeping us right. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>